Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I'm excited to introduce you to the founder of Hashtag Same Here, global mental health movement, Eric Cusin. Hey, Mara. How are you? Good. Great to see you. How's, how's the weather out there on the East Coast? It's good. I actually, when you asked the weather out on the East Coast, I was just in Arizona uh, for the run that the Suns were on. That was my old team I used to work for. So um, it, it, I got fr- I went from very, very hot, but dry heat to now not as hot, but but a lot of uh, humidity. So Yeah. Well, you have to come out one day. Hopefully we'll have the event at the uh, Warriors and we can meet up in California. Yes, that'd be awesome. Awesome. So Eric, can you please share with our friends watching and listening about your journey, your personal journey with mental health? Yeah. And I've shared, you know, you know, a little bit of it. So please chime in here as I'm, as I'm sharing, if it helps break it up, but you know, I, I shared sports. So I worked in professional sports for 15 years and um, mostly on the NBA and the NHL side of things. And six months into my tenure with the Florida Panthers, um, I, I hit a brick wall, my brain and my body ceased to function. It's the best way I could describe it. And these doctors, um, that I went to, uh, tried me on every type of psychotropic drug combination you could imagine. Um, I was laying in bed for two and a half years, just staring at the ceiling, not watching TV, not listening to radio, just essentially dead to the world as you know, the, the goal on their end and the way it was explained to me was your brain is like a soup with chemicals. And they're trying to put the right chemicals in there to make the soup taste the right way again, right? This, this line that we get fed about that you have a chemical imbalance, which I'm not denying that's some piece of it, but that's the way it's explained to us in total. They got to find the right magic combination that's going to now pop you out of this. And so two and a half years of that, not feeling better, you know, 99% of the time in the bed, the other 1% going to the doctor's. And then I was eventually recommended to do TMS therapy, transcranial magnetic stimulation, where they put a helmet on your head and shoot electromagnetic waves in your brain to try and wake up the, uh, the, the neurons to start firing again. 22 sessions into that 22 days in a row because they want you to do them consecutive days. Uh, about 45 minutes a session. I couldn't fall asleep the night of the 23rd then. And on the night of the 23rd going to the morning of the 24th, I was looking at this bottle of pills on my counter and the only thought going through my head was swallow that bottle, swallow that bottle, swallow that bottle. And I share this openly because nothing bad had happened in my life during that two and a half year span situationally. No one passed away. I didn't have any bad breakups. No dog had died. Nothing like that. So where do these thoughts come from? Right. Get back to that. But I had this overwhelming what I call an error message playing in my mind. I know I don't want to follow through with this, but my mind, I'm sitting on my hands, stopping myself from lunging towards the bottle because I can't stop my mind from almost this magnetic pull towards it. So I I go inpatient to a psych ward because I want to get help. And that's the only way that I know to get help. And that's the only way society's told us that we can get help when we're feeling that way. And I met with the attending psychiatrist the first uh, day I was there. 
skipping a lot of details, but she looked at my chart. I looked at her. I was looking at her top doctor plaques on the wall. And she said, Eric, you, you've tried everything there is. Your last resort is to do shock therapy. And when you're a patient and you hear last resort, that's the scariest thing you can hear. And people, when I tell that story, they're like, shock therapy? I would have eaten, you know, the joke that I tell is I would have eaten 10 scoops of manure from the horse horses that the cops ride out here in New York City 10 times a day if it meant I would feel better. I didn't care what the modality was. I just wanted to feel better. But she's telling me this is my final option. And this is happening to me to give some historical perspective in the middle of 2017. So I don't have anyone to talk to about this. It's not like family members are sharing, oh, this is what happened when I went through shock therapy, right? Like no one has that background. And, and, and if they are, most people don't openly share it. So I, at that point, you take the doctor's opinion, right? And you, and you, you go through with it. And so I did 12 sessions of shock therapy over five weeks. They put you under general anesthesia and they put electrodes on your brain and shock you into seizure, hoping that the neurons are going to start firing again. not so dissimilar to the TMS therapy, just a greater, you know, uh, invasive piece of it. And I leave the hospital after the five weeks feeling no better than I had the two and a half years prior. So in, in my mind, my life is over because I'm this thing called treatment resistant. And I've been given every label under the sun by every single specialist, melancholic depression, anhedonic depression, generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, ADHD, ADD. And you, you, you hear those terms and you don't know that like, the reason the doctors are throwing those terms at you is because they studied certain things in school. The brain is complicated. You can find some kind of similarity in the path of things that are going through your mind to fit this criteria of this DSM five book of diagnostic book that they have. Most people who sit in a psychiatrist chair, if you psychoanalyze their brain, you could find something that's going wrong with it. Side note there, but we'll get back to that. So, I am. Um, I'm thinking my life is over unless Merck or Pfizer or Johnson Johnson invents some miracle pill to knock, you know, to knock me out of this and kind of fix the soup of my brain. And it, serendipity, as it, as it would be, you know, my parents go to these continuing education courses all the time. They're retired uh, educators, and so they went to this course called Integrative Breathing Practices. And I didn't know what the term integrative meant. And I'd never done a breathing practice before in my life. So it didn't really register to me what they were going to. Not to mention much wasn't registering to me then anyway. Um, but they go and then my mom comes back from that course. And I remember it was like nine o'clock at night. She runs up to this twin bed that I'm in because I'm living at home where I was as a child. It's like, we met this woman. She's a doctor. She's a psychologist doctor. She treats differently than all these other doctors you've been to. Please go see her. Please, please just give it a chance. Okay, I'll give it a chance. So three days later, I'm on her couch, and what I expected was the same chronology of questions that I got every doctor I'd been to up until that point, which always went, Eric, what are your symptoms? You know, lack of executive functioning, cognitive fog, fatigue, run down, can't get out of bed, can't think straight, can't put a sentence together, right? And then based on my symptoms, they would give me one of those diagnoses, and then based on my diagnosis, I would then be given the pill that's supposed to fix me. She didn't do that at all. She just said, Eric, I want to know about you. Tell me about you, Eric, the person, right? And like when you're in a doctor's office that you think you're supposed to be psychoanalyzed, you're expecting the questions to be, tell me about your relationship with your mother, you know, like, and it wasn't like that at all. So 
how often does someone just blanketly ask you maybe on a date, like, tell me about you, but even then you usually like, Oh, you know, I'm a family person. Right. So when, when a doctor says, I just want to get to like, go to your earliest memories. Just let me know about you. Well, for me, it was, you know, I just started talking about my brother because my earliest memories are my older brother being sick and injured uh, at eight years old. So I, he's, he's older than I am. And I have a younger brother as well, but the older brother was 12. I'm eight. And the little brother was two. This is when this all started. He gets into older brother, gets into a sporting accident, football accident, breaks his femur bone and large bone in his body and put in a body cast for a year homeschooled. Okay. A lot of kids get into accidents. Can't really think of that as anything major. A month later, he gets diagnosed with ALL, children's form of leukemia. So five years of chemo and radiation in the late 80s, you know, you don't have the best prognosis when you have leukemia um, in the 80s, right? Like the, we're, we're holding on for dear life every single day. But again, miracle, he goes into remission. A month later, after he goes into remission, he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends, the one that's got the open top and the open back and, and you know, nothing really to protect you, no seatbelts in the back. Car loses control on the parkway. You know New York, so it's on the Meadowbrook Parkway. He lands on his head, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes in ICU for a month. Heals from that, goes to college, feeling a pain in his knee. They do all this testing. His leukemia from childhood has come back. Now they have to give him a stronger chemo regimen to really knock the cancerous cells out. But what do we know about chemo is as good as it is at, as at, uh, at knocking the cancer cells out. It also hurts many of the healthy cells and, you know, hair falling out like usual, like you see most of the time. But on top of that, his body starts breaking down. You could tell his joints are getting really weak. And I get a call from my father. I'm up at school at this point, uh, up at college to come back down to Long Island that he's got 105 fever. They have to take him into the hospital. His body goes into what's called septic shock. So the chemo was ravaging his body so much that his body just lost it. And then the organs started attacking themselves, falls into a coma. And by the time I get there, we're getting addressed by the neurologist who's telling us he doesn't know if he's ever going to wake from the coma. And if he does, whether he's going to have any brain function, uh, cognitive abilities at all. We have the right, if we want to keep the two breathing for him, but they can't guarantee any outcomes. And this is the late nineties at this point. So think about technology now versus then they're not able to read anything. And still, when someone's in a coma now, it's such a crapshoot. So um, that goes on for one month, two months, three months. Finally, the end of the third month, he wakes. A little bit of a comic relief here. He asks if the Yankees won the World Series. So he somehow remembered that that was going on prior to. And um, But his kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock. So even though his cognitive abilities are back, um, you know, he, he has to go on dialysis. We all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father is donates a kidney to him. I get my first job at the NBA league office shortly after that thinking childhood over blank slate, you know, and that year, three of my close friends, 22 and 23 years of age, die of heart conditions, like freak things. One guy running on a treadmill at six in the morning, who was in great shape, but undiagnosed heart condition and, and he passes. And so um, when I'm sharing that with this woman, her jaws dropped one. But the other thing is she says, Eric, is there anything else that happened to you as a child that impacted your mental health that I need to know about? And I shows how little I knew about mental health at the time. I said, what do you mean impacted my mental health? I wasn't on the treadmill with my friend. I wasn't in the car with my brother. Like these things didn't happen to me. They happened to them. 
And so she took a deep breath and she said, Eric, you had a front row seat for all these events. You watched them and it almost like mud splattering on you every time you're watching that event happen. The mud keeps splattering and it's getting you dirtier and dirtier. You don't know to take a proverbial shower to wash it off. Eventually, by the time you're 35 and you're living in, in Florida, it gets so heavy that it just takes your body down and, you, and, and it's too heavy at this point. Not surprisingly, right? We're seeing what's happening with so many athletes right now having to pull out, right? It's a cumulative buildup over time. And so when she explained that to me, my immediate reaction was, I'm 35, take the average 15-year-old, 20 years younger than me, the divorce of their parents, the job loss of their parents, and then the potential loss of a house, their best friend's friendship breaking up, their best friend's relationship breaking up and then being crushed because they're no longer with that boyfriend or girlfriend them watching their friend being verbally abused in the schoolyard, hearing about their friend being sexually abused by their friend telling them, um, you know, hearing about a friend go through the sickness of a loved one or the loss of a loved one at a young age. I was like, that's only a part of the list. If you're telling me all we need to do is watch those other people in our lives, our parents, our friends, whatever, go through those things and that impacts our mental health, then whose mental health hasn't been impacted because that's everybody and that's not the narrative that's out there. And so she kind of like, you know, smiled and kind of like a sage smile type voice. Like, Eric, that's what I believe. That's why I practice integrative medicine. And she was explaining to me how the mind-body connection, and she explained about the Bessel van der Kolk book, The Body Keeps Score, and how what we see impacts not just our brain, but our whole neurobiology, and that there's different modalities that we need to start working and cleansing, essentially, that mud that's built up in my central nervous system off. So she sends me to a weekend breathing course. I'll skip the details of that. But I'm the only man, only one under 40, and only one born in this country. So it was me and eight Indian women and nine yoga mats. And another, like, you know, uh, something to laugh about, but also something to cry about that, like, where are the everyday people who live in this country who aren't learning this from a foreign culture already bringing it here, but that are just understanding mental health and wanting to work on it the way that we go to the gym and we run? That's not common, right? That's why I was the only person that looked that way. But I learned through that breathing pattern, and we can get into that when we go into questions how to start cleansing that central nervous system to the point where my brain started to come back online. And when it came back online, I decided to share my story. Um, and I did it through social media on LinkedIn because I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have Twitter. I wasn't like a social media person. And in putting it on LinkedIn, it just starts getting shared. Now, this was right before the whole Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan era. So it's getting shared I guess because I'm a sports executive, I don't know what are the reason why. And maybe because it's relatable to people that I share the stuff about my brother and my friends as opposed to just saying, I have PTSD, right? So 150,000 times it's, it's, it's read or at least viewed and looked at on these social channels. And I have over 400 calls that come in from as far as China. And this was the first impetus for forming an organization was the calls consistently were not about disorder. No one was saying, Eric, I have PTSD also, or Eric, I have bipolar. It's different than PTSD in this way. Instead, everyone was sharing a lived experience story. I lost a child to SIDS five years ago, and I've never been the same all the way to I'm a married mother, love my husband, soulmate, but I broke up with my college boyfriend 10 years ago after dating him for four years in school. And that knot that was in my stomach 
from when I uh, I felt that you know that 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 awful feeling that I was going to change the course of our lives that knot has never left me even though I'm with my soulmate now I'm like okay I'm not a therapist but what starts to you know piece together right like I didn't have ten thousand hours the way that Malcolm Gladwell talks about it but I had enough of hearing these stories every single day for two weeks to be like the common thread here is not illness it's not disorder. It's challenging life events that we've been through that then impact the nervous system and the neurobiology in such a way that we end up with similar, not exactly the same, but similar symptomatology. And if that's the case, why isn't that the narrative that we're talking about in the mental health space? And so, you know, I was ready to go back into sports and say, I've got relationships with athletes. I'll just pass them off to whatever organizations out there, you know, could use them. But I go to look up these organizations and I won't mention the names, but they're the largest, you know, mental health organizations in our country and our world for that matter. And I see the same messages on all of them. They're consistent. And I don't know if it's purposefully misleading because it helps a lot of the funders where they're, they do get funding from pharmaceutical companies or they just don't know any better and they think these are the right messages. And I've, you know, poked and prodded enough in the last three years to try and figure that out, which we can also get into. But essentially, the messages were, I think, the antithesis of what we need to hear in this space. So three in particular that they all led with. First was one in five people are mentally ill. That creates a thick line between illness and health. And it's basically telling people you're either in this category of the ill people or you're in this category of the healthy people and you're one or the other. Choose. And that's not how mental health works, right? So that was problematic by itself. Second problem was that they have campaigns, right? Calls to action, like let's get people out. And they're they're calls to action. They want to normalize the conversation. So what was their campaign? Well, the first one that started with a campaign was stop the stigma. And then every campaign followed after it was stomp the stigma, break the stigma, erase the stigma. So it was an action word followed by stigma. The term stigma means human beings, people, (laughs) are forming opinions and judgments unfairly about another group of people. So if me and Mara start the organization, the Eric and Mara organization for mental health, and we're like, stop the stigma, that's a great rallying cry for us. It's an absolutely awful rallying cry to get the other people who don't think that mental health is a topic for them to come along with us because it's just pushing them further away. So so that was the second piece. And then the third piece that I saw was they all would link to celebrity stories as if it was a badge of honor that other celebrities fit in this one in five category. So Britney Spears has depression. She's in part of our one in five category. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety. And then what they would link to is the Us Weekly and the People magazine article done with the paparazzi taking the picture. And it's like, Britney Spears has depression, shaves her head. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety, dresses like a hot mess. So you add those three things up. One in five people are mentally ill. Let's stop stigmatizing that group of one in five. And if you want to know if you're in that group of one in five, have you shaved your head, put your lipstick on your face the wrong way and run off the basketball court in a panic attack? Yes, sign me up. I'm part of that group, right? Like that's why people don't engage with this topic. And so- that was the reason behind forming, you know, the, the umbrella name of our organization. I know we, we introduced us as same here correctly is the umbrella name of the organization is we're all a little crazy. Crazy is in quotes. And we had to launch that way because find me another term in the, in, in the, in the dictionary that speaks somewhat to mental health 
in a tongue in cheek type of way that gets people in this proverbial four and five category to pay attention and be like, I'm a little crazy. I'll listen to that. Right. And I knew I was going to deal with people who are technically, by the way, I'm one of them in the one in five category that's diagnosed who are going to say, yeah, right. You're raising your hand too. That's not the right term to use in this space. That's not, you know what? I had to take that chance that I was going to offend some people in order to get the four and fives to start paying attention. And the beautiful thing was, I don't know, I didn't have money to spend, right? It was what started to build on social media, start to see 10,000, 20,000. And then you like Facebook, they're like 70,000 people are willing to wear this badge of honor saying I'm a little crazy too, right? And so, okay, if that's our name, what was our campaign? The same way that these organizations had the, the, the Stop the Stigma campaign, ours became same here. And, and that's how you introduce us. Like, just like Nike might just be known for just do it instead of just Nike. Sometimes our campaign that we lead with same here is an American sign language sign where I'm pointing at Mara and I'm saying, Mara, me pointing at my chest to you, you and I were the same. And I can do that one-to-one or I could do that one to 3000 if I'm talking on a stage, because I know that we're the same because you're a human being <laughs> and I'm a human being. And as a human being, you've been through stuff and I've been through stuff. That's what human beings go through. And I don't need to know whether you had depression and I had PTSD or not. And in fact, let's get away from the labels because if we just focus on the labels and yours is OCD and mine is PTSD, then the previous way that society has told us to understand this is I'll never understand you and you'll never understand me. I got to stay in my group. You got to stay in your group. And that's bogus that like how many people I'm going a little bit off tangent, then I'll stop here. Like, what do we have three or four people in our lives that yes, let's go of labels. How many people in our lives um, do we have that we feel so close to that we could just open up about anything three, four, if we're lucky, some people one. Okay. Maybe the most five or six. If we go based on, you have to have had the same experience and the same label to relate to someone else. How many in your small circle of one to three to five have been through the exact same thing you have? Probably none, right? Maybe one if, 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 if the stars aligned in an unfortunate way, right? So like we, we, these messages are in place to keep us separate and keep us in different buckets. When we're separate, when we're in different buckets and we feel alone, guess what we need? We need miracle cures and we need miracle, you know, apps that help us get out of things. And it's not a knock on some of these organizations that want to help people. It's just, I'm at the point now of being in it for a number of years where I'm so upset with the entrepreneurship being what's placed above the health. You want to be an entrepreneur in the health space, all the power to you. Do it the right way that connects people. Don't separate people into buckets and make them feel alone and then make them feel that they need your product. Educate people, explain how you heal together. And through that togetherness, fine, you'll be successful, but you don't need the venture capitalist who's telling you, you got to return 2X, 3X, 5X on my money. So put this message in there right now. Anyway, that's been our organization the last three years. And we can go into like the actual programming, but I want to give you the story first. That is, oh my gosh, thank you for your vulnerability and your openness to share with us. We're going to take a really quick break and when we come back, we're going to ask some questions for you. We'll talk, definitely want to hear about how the breath work changed your life um, and if you're say, it's still taking meds or not. And we'll also talk about uh, the same here. So if everybody can hold on, we'll be right back. 
In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and today we have Eric Hewson, the founder of the Same Here Global Health Mental Health Movement. How you doing, Mara? So great to be back. Great. Thanks for coming back. Um, Gosh, I have so many questions for you, and I know we have limited time. So you were talking about breath work. So can you share with us in more details? I mean, did you start breathing? You stopped your medication? What really happened there? So I didn't stop the medication. Um, What the integrative psychiatrist told me to do is let's minimize the medication down to one because they had been trying so many different I went back on just Lexapro by itself. And in the breathing practice, the best way I could describe it is um, we go to the gym for our muscles, right? And we do things like heavyweights to put muscle on in a bulky way, medium sized weights to just get fit, lightweights to get cut up, right? So you know that there's different um, sizes of the weights to, that you're going to lift to get different outcomes. If you and I were sitting in a room together and a car crashed through the wall because it lost control, we were on the, the, the first floor of a building, obviously not the most pleasant thing to think about, but neither of us got injured and we looked at that car crash through, we'd go like this, right? So we would change the way that we're breathing. And there's a nerve that goes in our neck from our right where kind of our brainstem is down through the neck and two branches into our stomach that's called the vagus nerve. Now, it makes sense that what would develop as human beings is we see things with our brains, with our eyes, and then our body has to react based on what we see, right? So think of that vagus nerve as the carrier messenger that the way that we change our breathing based on the stimulus around us, now all of a sudden, whoa, what do I need to do? Do I need to be, you know, all the things that we hear about, fight, flight, right? And so... The reason I bring up the car example instead of like a tiger coming to our fire pit or something like that is because it's it's a common day thing that might happen. But a car doesn't crash through a wall every day. But what does happen is parents get sick and children come home crying from school 
and they're bullied and you feel upset for them and the boss is on you, you know, upset with the work product that you just created so that <gasps> breathing is happening to us throughout the course of a day, sometimes without us realizing it subconsciously, right? We're sitting at our computer typing and our mind is going to what's the boss going to say to me when they come in, right? What, what's going to happen when I go home tonight and I see my kid, are they going to have self-harmed? Am I going to see something on their wrist? Like we're thinking about these things and it changes the way we breathe. So why did I bring up the weight example earlier is because what they teach you in this breathing class it was called the art of living is three different patterns of breath, very long in and out breaths, medium in and out, and then quick in out, in out like that. And what that does is you're preparing that vagus nerve to create what's called greater vagal tone flexibility so that your body is used to being able to react to the stressors of what's going on around you. If you're someone like me who was living in perpetual fear that the next shoe is going to drop all the time because that's what continuously happened, guess what? Your vagus nerve is tight and there's no tone to it whatsoever, right? It's like basically going to the gym and just holding the muscle like this and never, 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 never letting go of that clenched uh, fist on the, on the barbell. So, by doing that exercise, what started to happen back to that idea of like taking the hard brush and getting the, the, the mud off you is you start to normalize this neurobiology. You're sending messages between in the brain and the body that, hey, like the end of the world isn't happening tomorrow just because the phone's ringing because the last time you picked up the phone, you did get bad news, right? And that's, I'm, I'm giving a microcosm, right? Because there's so many other neurobiological changes that happen. And breathing is just one example of the many modalities that we can talk about that exist to start to work on normalizing our central nervous system again. But I think that's why I had such good success with the, um, with the breathing is because I understood how it would help me. And I think buy-in, when people pick up a meditation app and the tagline is get 10% happier in 10 days, what does that mean? What is, what is meditation doing for me? That I believe that's why people stay with things is because they learn, even if it's simple, the science behind how it's helping. And it like, think about when you go to the gym, you don't get on the treadmill in two days and run for 45 minutes and sweat your butt off and look at the scale and be like, I didn't lose 15 pounds yet. What's going on? Right. But that's what we expect with mental health. Like I did meditation for two days and I'm not feeling better. Right. We have to be on the treadmill for 30 days and we're lucky if we lose two pounds. It's the same thing with our mental health. It's an ongoing change that we need to bring about. So, you know, uh, uh, hopefully that helped answer your question on the on the breathing piece. There's so much else to it. And that led to then my curiosity and learning other healing modalities and traveling around the world to try and figure out what else was out there. But but breathing was such a big piece of uh, the beginning of my healing process. You know me, and with the Hugs for Life Healing Center, the goal is to bridge the gap between medical professionals and holistic healers. So if you could share with me and with our um, friends out there what, where you traveled and what you found out, we'd love to hear. Yeah, so the first trip, and I, I thank my friend, I'm going to call her out, Cherie Wong is her name. Um, I went to Cornell with her. She's um, from Hong Kong, and she had found out about this course in Jakarta, Indonesia, on Qigong meditation. And so um, she went to the course unbeknownst to me, came back, found it life-changing. So the first time I ever went anywhere was on her recommendation, pretty 
ridiculous when you think about this trip. I flew 26 hours. There is a small connection in, in China. 26 hours to sit in a hotel lobby and learn this Qigong meditation from the Qigong master, not leave the hotel the entire eight days I was there, never go to Bali or anything like that after that long of a trip, and then just fly 26 hours back and start working again. But what I learned in that course is that, again, the healing power of the breath, we have meridians in our body. And when the, when the, when the energy that's in our body, right, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to use science again, because I think when people understand it with science, they buy into it. We breathe oxygen and we eat food and the glucose and the oxygen in our mitochondria, in our cells. So I'm not talking about spiritual energy. I'm talking about energy that we actually ingest becomes what's called ATP, adenosine triphosphate means that there's three bonds and when we need energy, the ATP becomes ADP. One of the bond breaks becomes adenosine diphosphate, two bonds. And with that bond breaking, the energy flows into our system. So when I need to pick up my hands and do this, it's energy that's happening from the energy that's in my cells. Well, where does that energy flow through, right? We know blood flows through our veins. We know lymph throws, flows through our lymphatic system. Energy has these meridians, but Western medicine doesn't acknowledge meridians because you can't see them under electron microscopes, so they don't acknowledge it. So he taught us all the different connections of the meridian points and explained to us how doing Qigong breathing meditation, and we, we built up, we did 30 minutes, then 45 minutes, then an hour, then imagine people like 50 of us at a time just sitting in a room for two hours straight meditating, right? So... But the breath work with, with the meditation within Qigong is actually about building up energy sources. They call them dantians. It, think of them almost as pots. So you're building the energy up in these pots. So then the energy could then flow to other areas of your body that it needs. So when you see people doing Tai Chi and it looks like they're dancing, what they're doing is they're actually moving energy throughout their body right? And it looks like voodoo stuff for people, right? And, and if, if my 18-year-old self heard my 42-year-old self talking about this stuff, it probably smacked me in the face. Like, you're a football player. What are you talking about doing like, you know, Qigong meditation and yin yoga and right? But okay, so that was one. I, I worked with a woman named Amy Weintraub, who teaches um, what's called life force yoga. She teaches all over the world. And I learned about yin yoga. So not like just vinyasa flow, which is certainly great, but holding poses longer because that energy that stores up inside of us, right? The body keeps score. Why do we have a pain in our neck? Why do we have GI problems? There's stretches that we can do and poses that we can do that start to release that energy and tension from our body. Another one, I mean, I can go on forever, but I'll just give you another one example. Went to Arizona to learn TRE from a gentleman named David Burcelli. TRE is the trauma release exercises which is the natural trauma response that all animals have. So we don't realize it as humans because we don't naturally do it. But if you watch an animal out in the wild and, and, a, and a predator is chasing um, a prey and prey gets away, after they get away and they know they're in the clear, you see their body tremble. Why? Because the buildup of the cortisol and everything in their body from running away from that predator needs to escape them somehow. Well, we've got these beautiful things called prefrontal cortexes. So when we get away from trauma, instead of trembling naturally, what we do is we think about what just happened. 
And we're like, did that really just happen to me? Oh my God. How do I process that? How do I explain that? I, I don't understand. Right. So we don't have the natural release responses. If you really want to read an interesting book, it's called waking the tiger by a guy named Peter Levine back all the way in the, in the I think it was the nineties or maybe even eighties, but he knew all about this trauma built up in our system and it gets frozen inside of us. Right. And it, and it's the remnants of the, the cars coming through the walls in life that have happened so many times. And so TRE actually teaches you how to induce the human tremor response because we're animals and you start to tremor out and shake out the tremor, the, the, the trauma that's inside of our body. I'll just say this. We call them the collectively as our group, we call them star exercises, stress and trauma, active release and rewiring. And so what you're doing with your group, if you want to get together on that, happy to, because we've got a whole group of integrative practitioners that from a branding perspective needed to create a concept around people understanding what these other modalities were and not calling them Eastern functional holistic or alternative because people would turn away from that, but actually understanding the science, we've got the stress and trauma that builds in us. We need to do activities that release and rewire them out. And just like the gym where I can go and I can do biceps, triceps, I can do, you know, plyometric box jumping and I can do, um, you know, the elliptical machine. Why isn't it common knowledge that we can do many things for our mental health? Instead, people are like, well, I tried that thing called headspace and it didn't work. So I guess I'm not a meditator. So it's either medication or not. That's what we've taught society. Like it's amazing. And that's marketing. And it, and it, and it, and Again, I can't go down too much of a rabbit hole because who knows, they'll come and shoot me in a bunker at some point. But that that message sells and makes people billions of dollars and, and, it, and it prevents people from healing. And these healing modalities are out there. We're not talking about them openly. Wow, that's wonderful. And it's so funny because um, I just wrote Piggy Bear's second book is Piggy Bear's Power of Happiness. And it talks about sad anger and fear and literally when you have it how you have to work off the energy before you could just do the breathing and so it's so profound um wow i love all the healing that you're doing so it doesn't matter your answer i'm just curious are you still taking medication yeah no i don't mind sharing that so um i'm working with a functional medicine doctor in addition to my integrative psychiatrist so my my new belief on the right quarterback for you when you're dealing with your mental health. When I say dealing with, that's anyone that's wanting to be proactive. That's at the place of disorder. Is, and I know this is this is can get expensive for some people. So sometimes you got to choose one versus the other. But the integrative psychiatrist is the person that, if meds are involved, we talk about that. But then the modalities like the breathing, the yogas, the meditations, all that stuff. The functional medicine doctor, and you'll see why I'm asking this question about medicine this way, is. The functional medicine doctor is looking at the function of my body, my gene expression, what uh, nutrients get absorbed the right way, right? And so I'm deficient in certain things. I've got this gene mutation called the MTHFR gene. I'm sure you've heard about that. Um, so I needed to get my nutrition right. I had to take protein shakes in the morning because I wasn't getting enough protein, right? But one of the pieces of that is I'm taking something called micronutrients. Micronutrients are the precursors for building the neurotransmitters in your brain. And I'm taking them, I mean, here's a, a pixie stick, that one of them, what it looks like. You just take it sublingually in your mouth. You do it twice a day. And now it's surpassing whatever you're eating 
in terms of your nutrition, you're making sure your brain is getting the nutrition it needs, which is allowing me to go down on the Lexapro that I'm on with the goal of eventually being off it. Now, in fairness to everyone else out there, I don't have this goal of like, I need a badge of honor to say that I'm off Lexapro. I just want to do it because I think it's healthier to not be on something than to be on something. And if I can do it naturally, I do it naturally. If I get to the point where I'm down to a certain amount on the Lexapro and I'm feeling awful, I have no qualms about going back up to 10 to 15, whatever, the right? So my take with medication is it's one of the tools in the toolbox. It works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. But I just want to say medication is not a cure. You have to do many other things and work on yourself in addition to whatever medications you're taking, or it's very hard to get better from this. Medic, you can't just sit back on the poster child for sitting back and waiting for medication to kick in. It just doesn't work that way. Definitely, it's more of a band-aid and it's great to stabilize, but then you know, encouraging people to take that step into the healing is profound. Um, that's wonderful. So now that you, once you've got your mental health kind of under control, you are then inspired to start this organization. So can you share with us about that before we have to hop off? Yeah. Well, when you say under control, I laugh a little bit because I think we're all works in progress and oh, I have days where I'm like, pass on. <laughs> I'm sure like you've had these days also where you're just like, wait a second. I felt this way three years ago. You're telling me I'm going to be feeling this way again, ever again. Like I shouldn't feel this way for 20 seconds, let alone for two days. Right. So for anyone else out there, like your healing journey, they say it's not a straight line. Not only is it not a straight line, it's literally like the most polar opposite point. Sometimes it can be. Um, and long. <laughs> what's that? A said, long journey. Oh, yes. I've been long. doing it for seven years. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's so up and down and all over the place and there's no linearity, but to your point, to your question about, you know, form the organization. So it was it, serendipitously, I think Prince Harry had come out with his story right before I got, I, I started feeling better. And I noticed within that year of, uh, as I started to get better, that he, I thought shared in a very vulnerable way. This is before all the BS with the, you know, the royal stuff and whether him and Meghan are honest or not. I'm talking about like the Prince Harry of, you know, uh, five years ago where he was still like the the favored son, you know, maybe not the favorite son because they were both favored, but, you know, a lovable character that there was no controversy around. He shared very vulnerably, like people loved the way he shared. He talked about his mom and losing losing his mom and, and, and going to therapy and not just putting a label on it saying I have depression. He went deep into the what which is what we need public figures to do. Now, even in doing that, the UK a year later was at a 30-year high in suicides. So I'm saying to myself, this topic of mental health does not change here in the US if Lady Gaga is the biggest endorser, or if LeBron James is the bigger endorser, or Michael, that's, they're, they're a person that has an influence. And even if you want to talk about their, you know, social media numbers if one of them has 50 million followers they send something out it only goes to 20 million only 5 million of those 20 million read it only 2 million of those 5 million agree with it and then there's like two other million or 1 million maybe in there that are like i don't believe that at all i don't agree with that so even a 50 million person is only positively impacting one or two million in a world that there's seven billion people in right so how are you going to change trends how are you going to shift society's perception? And so my thought process was, and obviously this is a, a going to be a build for the rest of my life, is you have to form alliances of people. 
athletes, celebrities, um, doctors, the, the folks that you're talking about, practitioners in these different um, modalities, students, CEOs. And so we started building all these alliances where it wasn't just like, a, hey, come join us. You know, you can be part of us. It's take a picture on the website, share your vulnerable story within your vulnerable story. Now we're going to start networking you. You know, you saw with the with the Golden State Warriors, they've got an event. What can we do with these doctors to help educate during this event? What can we do with these athletes or celebrities? You saw how hard it is for the Golden State Warriors even to get their assistant coach to do something, right? So I've worked at teams before. The access to players isn't always there. Can I be one of the people that helps get access to players to events so that we help raise the, the, the profile of it? So the goal of what we've been doing for the last, you know, three years is saying, let's continue to network and build these alliances where people from around not only the U.S., but the globe now can start to say, what's going on there where you guys are starting to talk about mental health as five and five on a continuum, everyone affected, all in it together, kind of what we were saying as we were coming into the segment, as opposed to saying, oh, we're the organization that's called, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one organization out there just because I have to say it. Our organization is called the Real Depression Project, right? And then it's named after the disorder. And then every post, which gets all these likes, but the post is like, this is how you should treat people with depression because this is how they deserve to be treated. Again, it becomes an us versus them thing. Instead of a, hey guys, you've, you've dealt with depression a little bit yourself. Let me explain to you what it feels like for me so we can meet in the middle somewhere so you could understand it, right? And, and, and this incessant focus on labeling, disordering, all that stuff. So anyway, the, the programmatically, we work with K-12s, colleges, offices, sports teams and leagues, and then servicemen and women and first responders. And we build in these different alliance members into these programs so that you start to see this matrix coming together of, okay, anytime where we start to see mental health, we're seeing the same concepts of continuum, continuum, five and five. Everyone faces challenges all in it together, you know, uh, uh, different healing modalities. Think about how divergent that is from the messages that have been out there for the last 30 years. Right. So so that's what you know, that's the M.O. And, and, and we don't have any qualms about like, OK, the brand needs to be this way or we're always about like, let's form partnerships with other groups as long as the, the core concepts are the same. You do co-branding, you do, you know uh events together right like you don't get concerned about whose logo is higher or lower i that stuff just bothers the crap out of me you just you you, you get out there what helps people and what they need and then and, and and you lead with with caring about other people first that is beautiful so what is the best way for people to get in touch with you Thank you. Um, so it's it, it, for website, it's just same here. So S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E global.org. And then um, if you want to email me directly, it's eric at samehereglobal.org. Um, and then from there um, on social media, it's at the at symbol, same here. And the only thing that's different is there's an underscore be, before global. You know, and I, and I saw the, the, the mention of, you know, lead with helping people first. For any entrepreneur in the mental health space, uh, let me say two things to you. When you are collaborating with someone else, someone who has genuine interest in helping other people can sniff you out immediately when your first motive is money. So don't think you're fooling anyone when you're on the phone if you try to make it about helping other people because if your first MO is money, they can tell, that's number one. Number two, 
the world pays you back. So it might not be in one year, three years, five years, seven years. If you're putting good into the world, financially, eventually you start getting supported in some way. Someone notices what you're doing, whether it's through donations, whether it's through products that you're able to sell or ideas that you come up with or books like you do that you write. Um, it, it all comes back in the back end. And, and so lead with your heart, lead, get in this space because you want to help people, not because you want to make money. Beautiful. Eric, it's been such a pleasure seeing you and speaking with you today. And for, to you and all of our listeners, always remember, you are amazing. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.